got a great show for you this week as we bring you our talk with Doro and Brittany Fox drummer Johnny D on this week's Focus on Metal. Hey, this is Jeff Labar. You're listening to Focus on Metal. Turn it up. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. Hope everybody enjoyed our show last week with uh, the voice of rock, rock and roll Hall of Famer, Glenn Hughes. And if you didn't catch that one, definitely go back and listen to that one. Great talk with Glenn all about his brand new release, Resonate. And also last week, I had a great conversation with Urban Breed all about Sirius Black's new one, Mirror World. So two great guests last week. If you missed that one, definitely go back and check that one out. And of course, go out and pick yourselves up a copy of Glenn's brand new one, Resonate. Very cool album. Even Glenn is thinking this one has got to be his best one yet. So I know what you're saying. What about this week? Well, we've got a great show for you this week as we bring you our conversation with the Philadelphia drum legend, Johnny D. We got to hang out with uh, Johnny for a little while at the Doro show a few weeks ago. And we said, hey, Johnny, what about coming on the show and talking to us all about everything else going on in the world of Johnny D. And of course, being the ultra cool East Coast guy that he is, he uh, generously accepted the offer. As you could imagine, Johnny is quite busy between doing stuff with Brittany Fox as well as stuff with Doro. But uh, we managed to fit in a time slot. Got him on the phone and had at it. But of course, Johnny's been around for quite a while. He uh, was on the World War III release back in 85. He also did uh, two studio albums with Wasted, four studio albums with Britney Fox, and uh, he's also been doing other little bits and pieces along the way. But uh, then he also hooked up with Doro, been playing with Doro since 1995. And as of late, not just as her drummer, but also uh, sometimes as her tour manager here in the States. Like he's not busy enough being the drum monster that he is. But also, besides that, just a really cool, down-to-earth guy. Uh, a few weeks back, Rich and I were talking about the Doro show and just, you know, Johnny in particular and uh, how cool he was. But I have to tell you, you know, the guy actually took so much time for all the fans. Even at one point, there were two girls that were talking to him. And he went all the way back to the bus and got them drum heads. And he didn't even have to do that. But he just went out of his way for everybody that night. That was just one example. But there were lots of fans who were kicking around, waiting to talk to him. And uh, just, you know, besides just being the musician, he's also the tour manager. And he's trying to make other things happen at the same time. But he gave everybody plenty of attention, really gave a crap about everybody. And uh, like I said, can't say enough good stuff about him. So this week, we're talking to Johnny D. But before we do that, why don't we have a track of the week? Track of the Week this week comes to us courtesy of our friends over at Frontiers Records. These guys got a brand new release, came out on November 4th. It is the follow-up to their 2013 release, Motherland. So if you're a regular listener, you know who I'm talking about. That is the Pretty Mage. They just put out their brand new one, Kingmaker. Definitely a great follow-up from that album. And just like any other Pretty Maids album, you got your ballads, then you got your really heavy stuff, and you got your melodic stuff, a whole bunch of good stuff happening there. And all of this stuff was uh, produced by Jacob Hansen, just fresh off the new Volbeat album. So really brought a cool sound to all the stuff these guys are doing. But after all this time, i got to say that Ronnie Atkins and Ken Hammer have lost nothing in writing great Pretty Maids tunes. And for those of you who are in Europe that are big Pretty Maids fans, you'll be able to catch them on tour with 
Got Hard starting in February. February 9th, they kick it off in Ravensburg and they run all the way through to March 9th. So a whole bunch of European dates to make uh, your Euro fans happy. For the rest of us, just going to have to go out and buy a copy of this brand new one, Kingmaker. So I thought that for track of the week this week, I would play the title track off the new one. This one is by, once again, Pretty Maids. Title track off their brand new one, Kingmaker. go track of the week from pretty maids that is kingmaker i don't know why but i keep expecting them to just swing into kingmaker by megadeth off a super collider would make for a very cool metal mashup anyways you want to find out more about the pretty maids you can go hit them up on the web at prettymaids.dk and as i said before our guest this week is johnny d so uh, let's get down to it hello johnny hey man how we doing nice to talk to you again good yeah, you too. How's it going? Good, good. I'm here again with my uh, co-host Scott, who was at the show with Doro a few weeks ago. Hey, Johnny, how you doing, man? Oh, what's up, man? Remember you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great show. Thanks. That was fun for us as well. Yeah. Definitely surprising. Come into a room like that and kind of not know what to expect when you walk in and then just get blown away by the end of the night. It was a really cool, fun little gig. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys were so solid, too, that, I mean, how could you miss with that? Just, uh, I think you, you guys blew everyone away, too. That, it, you know, As I described it to some people, it was like walking into there, and you guys were doing, like, a full stadium show in a little tiny room. Yeah. Just all the same energy and everything you guys always have. It's definitely, uh, I mean, we just, you know, we don't really make a, you know, we don't really plan on doing anything that differently, we play pretty much all this. I mean, she gives it all all the time, so it's kind of hard to not follow her lead. So we, um, 
but really when you have the crowd and the band doing what they do at the best of their ability, that's when you have just like a killer fucking show because we feed off of each other, you know what I mean? And it works amazingly well gel together like that. It's, it's a pretty cool phenomenon actually. So, um, I mean, we remember those gigs just as much as I think the fans do. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, when it's really cranking when you're on stage and you just feel that energy coming at you and it works the opposite way as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Johnny, um, since we're on the subject of Doro, um, how did you get the road manager's gig there? Did you fall into it by accident or did you actually want it? Um, well, she asked me because I, I tend to try to help where I can. Um, I've like when we, uh, we first started doing some gigs in the States, uh, there were certain places uh, that we weren't really hitting. I mean, we still kind of have that problem from time to time. We just don't ever really seem to do a full tour. We kind of do these little legs here and there. But basically, we had an agent who was from Philly and that was living in California and would not book the band in Philly because he assumed that there was no market here for the band. And I was like, well, look, you're, you know, you're mistaken. You haven't been here for many years. And I think, you know, just me and Nick being from this area alone, just with all of our friends and, and, you know, fellow musicians and stuff like that, I think we'd have a really good show in Philly. So I ended up booking a show and it did really well and turned out great. And Dora was like, you know, you should, you should do some of that for us when you can, you know, and it kind of turned into a road manager position because, uh, you know, we really scale everything back when we come over here and a lot of the budgets don't really allow for us to, for instance, fly our guy over from Germany or whatever. So it just was, you know, something like that. And the fact that like, oh shit, we don't have room for another person on the bus or something, you know, it was like, what can we do without and save a little bit of money? And I said, Hey man, I, you know, I'll give it a shot. And then like, you know, five, six tours later, Dora's like, you know, still saying that she really likes the job that I do. It's, it's pretty, um, it's a lot of work and I, you know, drop many balls here and there trying to like keep everything going and also be the drummer and, and, you know, try to get a sound check when I should be running around, you know, trying to get a guest list or the band food and shit like that. But, <laughs> um, it all seems to work out and I, I think I have it down pretty good now. Yeah. Now a couple of weeks ago, one of the, the, the promoters, I think it was for farm rock, um, you know, he, he stiffed a lot of bands. Were, you, were Doro supposed to play at that show? We were. We had the uh, Chicago version booked, and uh, we, I, th- I guess we heard pretty late in the game that it, because uh, at first I got some emails from our agent that said, you know, that the promoter was uh, having some health issues and he was in the hospital, and here I'm thinking like, wow, you know, send our, you know, speedy recoveries and all that crap. And then it was like, yeah, we're not hearing from the guy. And, uh, 
next thing you know, I believe it was Eddie Trunk that flew it out wide open that said that there was some shady shit going on. So when I heard that, I was just like, oh, this is not good. So we ended up losing quite a bit. Um, I don't know if he ever actually sent his deposit in or if we were just going to collect our fee when we got there. But I know we, we, you know, we missed out on quite a bit of money for, you know, which would have helped us in the rest of the tour expenses. So, you know, go starting out a tour uh, with the first gig canceled and in the hole already wasn't like the greatest thing, but uh, you know, we just did the best that we could and luckily it all worked out. Okay. But yeah, you, you have those types of things all the time. You know, it's pretty, uh, pretty tough out there. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you've dealt with uh, a few shady promoters over the years. It's one of the, probably the biggest challenge of your job. Yeah, it's t- it's tough because, you know, you usually you assume that it's going to be the beginner guys or the first timers or somebody you've never worked with before that might, you know, get in a little bit uh, deeper than they think they are. You know, I mean, it's not easy if you're just oh, I can be a promoter, you know, and then just like hire a bunch of bands for a lot of money and then realize that maybe your audience isn't going to cover that type of ticket sales that you need to, to, you know, pay these bands you're bringing in and they kind of end up losing their shirts. But uh, for a guy that's had a couple, you know, successful concerts and he's trying to branch out festival-wise to other cities and stuff, I guess... uh, maybe it, it all kind of came to a head at that point, you know, I mean, yeah. nobody knows for sure how it happened. I know I haven't heard much else about it, but I, I don't think we'll be seeing him for, for quite some time or, or I don't think anyone will ever trust him again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not everyone can go out there and uh, just kind of hook it all up and, and do it like uh, Gina Zamparelli used to do back in the day. So yeah, new, it's a new, right. new day. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you yeah, know, go ahead, like say, it takes takes money to make money, you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, a word to the wise, you know, don't <laughs> don't try to start a festival unless you expect to, you know, lose a lot of cash up front, you know, until yep. you get going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, it took how the guys who did Vakin, I mean, it took them years before they even got to, you know, how they are today. So, yeah, it's 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 not an easy game. Yeah, I mean, they've They've grown every year, and I think they are, uh, you know, they were conscious of what they were doing in the sense that they, you know, they would never, like, overpay for a band. And mm. they built their brand so well that they all almost started to have the scenario where you have bands coming to them as opposed to them going to, you know, because yeah. then the festival becomes bigger than the artists. I mean, there's not... If you put a ticket on sale for a festival and it sells out in an hour before you even announce what bands are going to be there, I think you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I've often. You know, I, I, are, yeah. You're not going to lose much money doing it that way. Yeah, I've, I've asked a ton of people over here why they think that the metal scene in Europe is is so loyal compared to the US, and you get various answers, but. Like you've been with Doro for a long time, you've toured all over the world. Um, do you have what's your take on all that, Johnny? Why do you think the Europeans are more loyal than the Americans? Uh, I think, I mean, when it started for me, I kind of looked around and noticed that a lot of these countries or these bands 
uh, weren't able to experience a lot of the, you know, in America, mostly it was bands, you know, every week, every day, every year, the same stuff over and over again. It almost became like a guaranteed thing that you could see any band you wanted to almost at any time. And um, I know over there, not so much because people, uh, a lot of the popular successful bands realized how offensive it was to tour Europe or you know, maybe they were afraid because of certain political things going on at certain times in different countries. And, you know, so many reasons why, uh, you know, people wouldn't come over as much. And then you have a scenario where people are really starved for that kind of music. And then once, you know, the, the barrier is broken down and people start coming over. It's like they're just kind of lapping it up. But I think the reason why they appreciate it is just because they they didn't get it as much as we did in America, and they value that. And I think they um, their attention span is a little bit longer. I mean, they're not so influenced by... Uh, you know, just whatever spoon fed or shoved down your throat from MTV at that time or whatever. It was more or less like if you see a band live uh, and you like them, you know, and they win the crowd over, there's a good chance that band comes back and you're going to have those people plus, you know, plus some more. And it's just really kind of a grassroots thing. Uh, where they really accept newer bands and they just, they kind of come out and give everybody a chance. You know, they, they pay attention to support bands, which a lot of people don't, uh, you know, they're out in the parking lot tailgating or whatever, come in for the headliner. I mean, in Germany, particularly, I mean, every band we've had uh, on our tours has been like the crowd comes in couple beers they're there okay entertain us you know and they're willing to give you a chance and it's basically up to the band to either you know win them over or not but i mean they're always going to be there and it just seemed to me that they were much more uh, into going out to shows and wasn't like a uh, trendy thing it was more like a real passionate love of uh, of the entertainment factor of music you know they appreciate that hard work and and a band that's willing to make the crowd a part of their performance. Mm, yeah. And the other thing I, I noticed, too, was, you know, like watching videos. I mean, even watching the performances from Europe on uh, on Doro's uh, CD release recently and even the stuff from Vakken and stuff. It, one thing, it, it's a huge difference. And it's one of the big pet peeve of Richie's is no one in that audience is watching through their cell phones. Like here in America, you look all around in the crowd and everybody's like watching a fantastic show through their four inch goddamn cell phone screen. And you just don't see that in Europe. They're like, they're there for the music and, and they just soaking that all in. They couldn't be bothered to do anything else. And I think that's, that's, that says a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm guilty of it too, but I think you kind of, <laughs> some people I think get caught up in the excitement of the moment and you want to kind of share that with, with your friends or whatever, or maybe people that aren't there with you. But I mean, it does, you know, a few pictures or a little bit of a video, maybe if you're seeing something that's pretty rare or that's cool. But, um, you know, the constant, like the people with the thing going the whole show and all that, I mean, it's really, it really detracts from the, the moment almost, yeah. uh, 
you know, you have the pictures and the video to remember, but you don't remember actually just sitting there taking it in through your brain and your eyes, you know, and your ears. So, yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate product of, uh, of our, you know, of our lives now, this, this technology thing and just everything all the time. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, it is cool. I like, um, I've seen a couple real, real intimate shows where they just say like, look, you know, please don't use any cell phones and stuff. And I think, you know, that's kind of cool because it forces you to really just get into it, you know, but obviously there would be people who would bitch about that if they (laughs) couldn't do their thing, you know, and I know Doro, it's it's a little bit uncomfortable if people are constantly like in your face in the first couple rows, like just snapping away. And some people don't have any, you know, um, they don't use any discretion when they post photos. So it's like, you know, you could be making like stupid faces or they put up 50 blurry photos. And it's like, why do you do that? You know, just like pick one good one and say what you got to say and, you know, share it with the world. And that's cool. But we don't need like a thousand pictures that are just basically horrible or, you know, but (laughs) yeah. So Johnny, before, before we get into uh, Brittany Fox, um, being the road, being the road manager, have you ever pulled into a venue, looked at maybe the stage and from a health and safety aspect, go, no way we can't play here. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I have. And then I try to explain that to Doro and she just kind of, Oh, Johnny, but, but the fans, what would we say to the fans? And I'm like, Doro, like, look, you're going to fall on your face. Uh, there's like one monitor that's blown out on. Oh yeah, we do it. Punk rock. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> okay. I, what can I say after that? You know, and, of course, they end up being some of the most fun gigs that we do. So from now on, I'm never going to really back down from, uh, you know, I mean, she hates barriers in front of the stage, any kind of, you know, barricades and stuff. I mean, she's really just like, I don't know. She just really wants to just get involved and go in there and scrap with people and just like jump in the crowd. I mean, I, I can't even believe half of the stuff that she does, but she really seriously is just like sometimes just like a little kid that just wants to have fun. Yeah. So, so of course, Johnny, so hopefully, you know, yeah. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. All I right. just wanted to say, hopefully it doesn't turn into a bad situation because we all know, you know, there's always that one moment where you, you know, let your guard down and something bad happens. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we try not to go too crazy and too dangerous, but yeah, it's, uh, always a fear but uh, I think you have some real fun in those kind of gigs you know yeah yeah
So one of the, the other reasons we have you on is um, Brittany Fox are back out doing shows again. Um, why did it come together now and not in the past? Because I remember hearing years ago that um, Billy Childs was going to go out as the only member with three other guys, um, and that never got off the ground. Like, have you tried it in the past and it just never worked? Well, we got together. I mean, the band, even when we were, um, you know, at our height, in the 80s, there was always some sort of dysfunctional thing going on with us. I mean, it was either, um, you know, discrepancies with the band, who wanted to tour, you know, for three months in a van, and who didn't, and who wanted to do this and that. And then, you know, when we started to hit that real difficult time in the late, you know, beginning of the 90s, when the musical... Uh, you know, climate started to change. It was like, it almost like, I don't know, it interfered with our thinking in a way. A lot of bands started second guessing themselves and all this kind of stuff. And in the end, we just really, uh, we couldn't keep it together to continue through those kinds of circumstances. So we decided to, you know, just set it aside for a while. And uh, that ended up taking longer than we had hoped. And by, I think 2000, uh, when this surge started to kind of bubble up again, I think enough time had passed where, you know, the 80s bands all of a sudden became like the uh, nostalgia favorites, you know. And I think VH1 looked us up for a Where Are They Now special, and we went up and talked to them and uh, realized that people, you know, still wanted to hear these songs and that, but... um, we started to talk to a label about reissuing some of our stuff at that point and they couldn't get the rights from Sony. So, uh, they said, you know, how about you guys do a live record and it would be like a live greatest hits. It would feature the stuff with Dean from the first two albums and then songs, uh, from the Tommy Paris era. And we were like, that's a cool idea. So Tommy gets to sing the old stuff. People get to hear him on that. So we did this, Five record and uh, on Spitfire, and we had a little bit of uh, touring behind that, and the shows actually were recorded for that, so we had fun doing that. But we also felt at the time that it still was at the level where we couldn't really do a proper tour like we had done in the past, because you, you know, you get a few good weekend gigs, but to get from you know A to B and play 
see on on a Tuesday night. I mean, it was like a you know crickets. You know, nobody would show up. So um, there weren't these festivals and cruises and all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of like sat it aside again. Decided to go back and see, you know, another way of of um, undertaking that but you know uh, time was just flying by and then nobody was really doing anything I was busy with Doro and Billy just decided at one point he wanted to go out and do it nobody else is using the name so I might as well go out and do it and that was kind of his attitude and it was a you know a bit of a shock to the record you know, Michael had made himself clear that he didn't really want to tour but the fact that Bill just kind of like assumed that nobody else would want to be involved, I think was just a, a bad decision on his part. So he went out and did his thing and got Tommy involved and they played a few gigs and then Tommy bailed and Billy tried to finish it out on his own, but it didn't last very long. So then there was a lot of animosity from that particular move, which lasted a few more years. And then various calls to Dean and Dean calling me and me calling Michael and all this stuff going around and around and nobody ever really just getting in a room and trying to work it all out and actually play some music. So we've had failed attempts and, and a lot of just time where nobody was doing anything. I think I was just basically living more in Europe and playing with Doro as much as possible. But then uh, we finally, like two years ago, reached a point where uh, we're Doobie kind of like made the call. He was the, uh, you know, the go between where nobody else was really talking. He kind of got on the phone and was like, look, man, you know, you guys should be doing this, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just like cut the bullshit and get down to talking? And uh, what do you say we get together? And we, Billy and I finally got together and had a chat and we realized that Michael and Dean didn't want anything to do with it. So what can we do? We can present the best option that we have would be the bite down hard lineup with a new guitar player. So that's where it all kind of started to come back together. And that's where we are now.
Yeah, so is Michael out of the uh, is Michael out of the music business altogether? He is still teaching guitar, as far as I know. I know he's been doing that forever, and he probably will as long as he. I know he enjoys it. He has quite a few students. Um, I believe he's still a, a big fan of music. He was always a guy that had like the biggest record collection and stuff like that. And uh, I just think he got burnt from the, you know, from the touring and the fact that he had to like blow up his schedule at home to go on tour. And like I said before, these before these weekend opportunities came up for bands of our ilk, like cruises or you know, fly dates, go here for a weekend, play a casino, come home with some money, you know, before that existed, he um, didn't want to do the band tours or any kind of like, you know, be away from home and kind of, you know, not really having a lot of uh, success out there or just coming home basically with no money because you spent it all crossing the country and trying to eat on your days off and stuff. So um, he's, I guess if you want to call teaching in the biz, yeah, but I don't believe that he's recording or writing or touring or anything like that, which is a real shame. Yeah. And do, do you have any contact with Dean at all? Because I seem to remember back in the day when you split with him, it didn't, it like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't very nice at the time. I remember buying Kerrang and it was like, it seemed to be a little bit nasty. Yeah, I mean that was you know that was pretty much his his choice to to do it that way. I mean we literally were like you know kind of in the mix, if you will, and then all of a sudden it was like you know the guy's like never happy and just like when he quit the band he was pretty much like fuck you, you can have the name, I don't even want it, uh, I don't want anything to do with this band and blah blah blah. And I was like that's funny because you're the guy that basically started the whole thing and came up with the name and wrote most of the songs and you know so he just wanted to you know to follow another path to you know do something different musically which all kind of really uh surprised us and then he ended up quitting in the middle of a tour and uh, then he had this real bitter attitude and like basically slamming us in the press and all this stuff. And uh, which was just like, OK, what do we do? We sit here and get like, you know, let the guy talk shit. Or do we kind of try to get the the real story out there? And, you know, not that anybody really cares now, but it's like it was just unfortunate that it all went down that way because it really didn't have to. But it was all part of the the camaraderie that never really, you know, existed. Once a band starts to have some kind of cracks in the surface or one record doesn't do as well as the other, then you always see these little, you know, people trying to like kind of uh, take their own piece of it, you know, and, and hide it for themselves. And it was like, look, man, we're all into been in this together. In the beginning, that's all fine and good but as soon as there's any money made or any kind of success or failure you know everybody starts to retreat back into their own corner you know and um so we just you know we plugged ahead and we said look you know we have a great musical unit here we have a little bit of success we have a good name we worked our fucking asses off to try and 
build the thing up? Why throw it in the trash after, you know, two years or something? So we got Tommy and the time it took to write a new record and all that. And we went out and tried to uh, just, you know, rebrand the name, if you will. And uh, it was rough on the Bite Down Hard tour, but uh, we tried to keep it going. And, um, yeah, and Dean, I don't know what his stance was, but eventually uh, so many people, I guess, were asking him why, you know, why he wasn't doing anything with Brittany Fox. And I think he got in touch with me and Billy. Uh, we sat down, I guess it was like three, almost four years ago now. It's probably the last time I talked to him. We sat down, we had a conversation and, uh, you know, okay, what can we do? What's possible here? And I thought this is the closest to a real reunion that we've ever had. And then, like, the next day, I never heard from the guy again, which I thought, well, that's fucking weird. <laughs> and as weird as the first time, you know? But it was like, from talking to him from time to time, I felt like, wow, like he really seems to get it now, you know, like it's a band thing. But when we sat down, the conversation was totally different. It was all like, okay, well, I have this, I have that. I have all the songs written already. I have this. And I'm like, dude, we didn't even like play one note yet. Like, how is that possible? Like, you know, if we're going to do this, it has to be, you know, it has to be a band. It has to have some kind of uh, input from everybody. And I don't think he really dug hearing that. So he kind of pissed off again. And that was that. Yeah. So, of course, you had to get a guitar player in for Michael. So who got Chris Saunders in the band? Uh, that was Doobie as well. Um, Billy had met him, I guess, during that 2007 period. Um these those two guys, Doobie and Billy, were working together on that, and they met Chris, and uh, you know, just seemed to hit it off. And uh, he's a great guy. He's like a bit more of a shredder type guitarist than Michael is, but uh, he just seemed to fit in somehow. So we thought, well, what the hell, you know, scrap the audition process and just we'll give the guy a shot and see what happens and it's actually worked out pretty good i think he covers the the material well and uh brings something new to the table and um you know the people that have seen us seem to think he fits in well so uh just it was a good fit you know without getting too critical about it, all of it it was just kind of like okay yeah let's try it out yeah it must be tough for you though johnny to schedule everything so that you can because you're out you're so busy with doro that the other guys sometimes must be trying to figure out hey can we go out and you're like eh, i can't this weekend right. or you know you know you yeah. must feel bad sometimes because you're you, you maybe you're the guy that's more active in the music business than the other guys right yeah it holds back certain opportunities but uh you know, I guess in, in at our age and stuff like that and where we are, I guess that's just one consideration that we all have to be patient with um, because, I mean, some guys are, you know, I mean, a lot of uh, rock stars are working jobs now and uh, or have, you know, maybe some time off between other projects and whatnot. I think it's Really, if you just look at the year and kind of go at it with some sort of uh, organizational thought, 
you can pull it off, you know, but every once in a while we probably would miss out on a real good opportunity. But um, once again, you have different members that want to do things differently, you know, like somebody wants to just do festivals for good money and another guy just wants to go out and work as much as possible, doesn't care if it's a, you know, shithole toilet on a Thursday night or you know, whatever, let's just go and get paid and, and, and make, make a living from it, you know, but, um, like Tommy, for example, he's got a, he's got a gig in Vegas with, um, Danny, the count Coker and the count 77 band. The guy's got a TV show. He's got a big following. They go out and do gigs. Uh, you know, they get some good, good, uh, crowds in there and stuff. So, you know, and it's easy for him because he doesn't have to uh, fly anywhere. He can just, like, they take care of his expenses and stuff. So, um, it's basically, Tommy and I are the ones that we're scheduling around. Uh, but, um, you know, if we put out a record and say we want to go on tour for three or four weeks, then we would just block that time out. And uh, I tried to do that this summer. I had... Um, blocked out the Monsters of Rock cruise uh, like a year ago with Brittany on the West Coast. And uh, Dora was aware of it and cool with it all. And then some gig came up on the East Coast that she really wanted to do. So next thing you know, we're playing like eight shows uh, the week before the cruise. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get to this boat on the first when I have a gig on the East Coast on the second? And I'm like, shit, you know, so now I'm scrambling, trying to set stuff up and uh, came up with the brilliant idea of uh, my drum tech, Jeremy Kling, is actually a drummer himself. So we uh, I used him as a tech for the first gigs. And then he basically learned the songs and learned the show and filled in for me on the last two shows so I could fly out and wow. do, uh, do the Britney thing. So. It can get tricky, but, you know, I would prefer that it didn't get that crazy, but, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I think everyone out there can, you know, vouch for the fact that we're all doing stuff that we probably didn't have to do 10 years ago just because of the economic situation out there. Everybody's kind of scrambling and picking up work where they can just to make a little bit of extra money to survive. So, you know, it all goes... For us musicians as well. Yeah, it's just a couple of qu questions to finish up with, Johnny. Um, how much fun was the Monsters yeah. of Rock cruise? Oh man, it's always great. It's almost like a reunion now. I think I've done like four, three or four, and uh, I'd never been on a cruise in my life about five years ago, and now I've been on about ten of them, and it's it's pretty crazy how um, all these people just come together. It's almost like a I don't know. I think it's one of the best like festival situations that you can have, you know, you, I mean, definitely in comparison to like, okay, you go to Vakken, right? It's a great, amazing time. You got about 85, 90,000 people there, but you can never be guaranteed about the weather. You got to pitch a tent or get a hotel room, like, you know, 20 kilometers away, you know, you're standing in a muddy field, you know, you have to walk a mile to get a beer. You, you know, you basically piss in your pants or you have to, like, go into a pool.
quart of pot. I mean, it's like, okay, you know, I'm not that dedicated of a fan. You know what I mean? I'm pretty spoiled from all the backstage, uh, all the backstages that I've had. You know, I don't think I could hack that. But on a boat, man, you have, you know, everything within walking distance. You have a controlled thing. If If it's raining outside, you can go inside and watch a show in the theater or whatever. You have your own bathroom, you have your own bed, you have a shower, you can nap, eat, shit, do whatever you want, get drunk, fall in the pool. I mean, it's like you're all kind of self-contained there, and you have basically 40 bands within a couple days, and you also have them walking around the ship, so you get like this fan and artist interplay going on, and I think fans really dig that. I know the artists dig it if they don't mind the fact that there's fans, you know, uh, around them all the time. But I think it's... It can get a bit, Johnny, it can, it can get a bit scary though if they're liquored up. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, if there's something about the cost of those things that keeps like the lowest common denominator. Out of <laughs> so you don't get the, you know, you don't usually get the guy that's like drinking, you know, $2 beer and just like, you know, drunken beyond belief. I mean, there's definitely a few, I've seen some people go for it, but you know, it's not like, you know, you're not really going to get spewed on or anything like that. It's not that kind of crowd, you know, yeah. it's a little uh, classier bunch, I think, but the, yeah, the monsters crews, those guys do it up, man. They do it really well. And, uh, it's it's a good time. Anybody that doesn't mind to get on a boat for four or five days should definitely go for it because it's. I think it's worth it, man. I mean, it's a it's a great time. Yeah. So the final question from me, Johnny, and I have to ask it. Um, do you have any of the stage clothes or any of the clothes you wore for the album cover for the first album?
I do, yeah. They uh, they don't really look the same. I mean, they're like shriveled up and discolored, and you would probably never even recognize them. But yeah, I do. And uh, sometimes I pass it like hanging in the basement or whatever and just laugh because <laughs> I've lent it out. I've actually loaned it out like twice for uh, a couple girls wore it as to be Prince for Halloween. <laughs> it's got the ruffled shirts and shit, and uh, it's pretty funny to see that. And uh, But yeah, I, I hang on to a lot of shit. I have a lot of memorabilia, but unfortunately, I um, probably didn't take the best care of it, so I'm almost afraid to open some of the boxes and stuff, because it's <laughs> I don't know what's going to come out of there, like a, you know, either a horrendous smell or some kind of moldy creature, you know. Yeah, you're you're the first guy, Johnny, who's actually admitted to me that they actually kept hold of the stuff. The rest of them are like, no, nope, don't have it. Nope. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I don't know. That's pretty funny, yeah, because I'm like, I think I'm about three months older than you, and and I still got some of my my stage stuff from uh, being in bands back then too. And every so often I'll say to the kids, Hey, why don't I go pull, put that on? They're like, no, no dad, please don't do that. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. So uh, it, it's been great that we were able to get to talk to you. Cause I know that you're, uh, you're off in probably what the next couple of, probably a week or so you're, you're heading back to Europe and uh, getting on the European leg of a uh, Doro tour. That's right. Yeah. We have a winter tour coming up, uh, Germany, a couple other countries in Europe. And, uh, that goes from the 20 something of November till the 15th, 14th of December. So I'll, I'll head out a little early, do some rehearsals with those guys over there. And then, uh, we'll do those shows for about a month. And then I get home right before Christmas. Nice. Nice. So you'll, uh, yeah. you know, you're not escaping the cold at all. So, yeah, good stuff there. No, no, <laughs> no, but it's much cooler. I like the, the Christmas uh, vibe in Germany. It's real cool. Every yeah. city and village, they have the little Christmas markets and stuff. It's pretty, yeah. pretty awesome time of year over there. The beer is good too, Johnny. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever have the glue vine, the, uh, the hot mold wine? That no. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a hell of a headache afterwards, but uh, it's always good to kind of just, like, do the, the hang, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get out there and freeze your ass off and drink a couple of those and just get numb and, and have a good time. <laughs> uh, spoken like a true rock star. Well, it's cool, I, like I said, Johnny, that uh, we're able to, to fit this in between... Uh, you know, the U.S. stuff with Doro and the European stuff with her. And, uh, yeah, I was like saying, yeah. how are we going to fit Johnny in? But uh, it's good. We finally uh, got you on the air. Talk a little bit about uh, what you're up to with uh, with all the bands and stuff. And uh, definitely uh, it's been a lot of fun. And hopefully uh, next time you're, you know, you're back around with Doro again, uh, we can uh, maybe hang out again. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for uh, coming to the show and also for following up and, and uh, letting me come on. No, no, no problem, problem Johnny. No all problem. All right. Have, awesome. a good, have a good rest of the night. Thanks, man. You guys be cool. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, all right, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Cheers. Bye.
There you go, our talk with Johnny D. And of course, if you're over in Europe, be sure to catch the European leg of Doro's 2016 tour. And during the show, play some Britney Fox tracks. And then, of course, had to play some Doro tracks, including the last one you just heard, Earthshaker Rock. But you know what? Johnny has done some other things besides that. And with the time we have left, I thought, you know what? What if I play a little bit of Wasted featuring Johnny D? So off the classic Wasted album, Save Your Prayers, featuring the one and only Johnny D on drums. This one's called Walls Fall Down. fellow metalheads that will do it for yet another week right here on focus on metal hope you enjoyed our chat with johnny d as i said great guy cool to hang out with and if you have a chance to see him live i would highly recommend it and for you lucky listeners over in europe you do have a chance to see him as they kick off the european leg of their tour at the end of november and if you want to find out more about those tour dates you can go to adoromusic.de don't go to Doro.com. That's like some weird-ass phone for senior citizens. I don't I don't know. But uh, anyways, DoroMusic.de. And definitely while you're at it, pick up that 30-year anniversary DVD. Killer footage on that one. I mean, come on, seven hours worth of stuff on that. There's a reason to not go to work for a day, right? So again, big thanks to Johnny for coming on the show, taking up some of his precious time before he dashes off to his next tour dates. So what's up for next week, you ask? I have no freaking clue. That's not to say I don't have stuff to go on the show for next week. I got plenty of stuff to go on the show for next week. It's just deciding what stuff I'm going to edit up and run. We've got a great collection of interviews in the can, so uh, just plenty of cool stuff to choose from. And kind of like this week, I just looked at all the stuff and I just felt like this was the week to do Johnny D, so I did it. But I've got some great stuff. Talked again to Scott Leach from Crystal Ball about their brand new one. I had Paul Lowe come back on the show, talk about the new one from Eden's Curse. Frank Domino, you guys might know him from Angel, had a solo album out for a little bit now. He's come on. We get a great conversation with Paul Shortino and also with a band called Pareidolia. So lots of stuff out there to choose from, as well as just a few more episodes left of Little Mountain Sound. So tons of stuff here we could choose from. It's just 
whatever I feel like come up next week is uh, what's going to happen. Or that, or, you know, Richie's going to come up with some other new thing we got to pop in there, or he's got some other idea and says, hey, can we run this this week? I don't know, but when we get there, we'll all find out together. So as always, remember, you can follow us on Twitter as well as on Facebook. You can go up to focusonmetal.blogspot.com, see the show notes for the show. I've been way too busy lately to put news up there, but uh, usually that's also where all of our news feeds are. And, of course, our main site, focusonmetal.net. And up there on the episodes page, you can find all of our episodes, all of them, every single last one of them, or at least a description of them. And a pretty uh, pretty large amount of them actually have streaming or download links. But if you find one that doesn't have a link and you want to hear that show and it's not available on iTunes, you can shoot me an email at shout at focusonmetal.net and I will do my best to create that link for you so you can revel in that particular show. But for this week, we are done. That's right. Stick a fork into this puppy is complete. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you next time, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.